Hello, welcome to Her Dot Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dot Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we are talking about chapter three of The Subtle Knife, A Children's World. I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. I feel like I said my like, and I'm Rachel. Hello, really aggressively this week. (laughs) I feel like I was like, and I'm Rachel. Hello. (laughs) Maybe it's a new thing you can do every week. See how aggressive you can get in the intro. (laughs) Brilliant. Yes, that's the plan. (laughs) All throughout this little life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How did your shop update go? Your spoopy shop update? tell us really good i'm a little bit overwhelmed (laughs) um (laughs) it went really well i basically sold out of a bunch of the stuff that i'd made i'd spent like ages working making loads of stuff and now all of that stuff is not in my house anymore because i've posted it to people around the world (laughs) because they bought it from me not because i'm some kind of weird surprised (laughs) post santa halloween person it was ridiculous. Loads of things sold out. I'm doing like another little pre-sale to make more of some of the things that sold out. But as is seeming to be the way, I will have done the pre-sale last weekend, if you're listening to the podcast now. <laughs> like not even the weekend, just been the one before that. <laughs> it's like on the 10th of October. So it's completely irrelevant. <laughs> we need to start timing our podcast episodes with your shop updates. Nah, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> no, we, we probably should. But yeah, no, it was really good. I'm really, I spent all of yesterday packing boxes, like literally all of the day. I'm so jealous of your packing day because I love doing that job and I wish that I could do that job for you and you pay me. <laughs> pay me, Rich. I, I want to quit my job. would love that. <laughs> Maybe if you want some pocket money at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pocket money. Remember pocket money. Yeah, I, I would literally only be able to pay you pocket money as well. <laughs> I am so poor. I'll help. I'll get you to help me write Christmas notes to everybody. Festive notes. But no, it was it was very satisfying taking all of my parcels to the post office. And the poor lady at the post office that really shocked with me this morning when I handed over like fifty or so parcels and like, <laughs> bless her. She's very nice to me. She puts up with a lot. I mean, I try not to be an asshat, so that helps. <laughs> Are you like best mates with her? <laughs> No, she's, I I only show up once a week and it's been the whole time that I've been living here and using that post office, it's been full pandemic. So I show up with like a face mask on and I'm like, take the thing, leave the thing. There's always been like a weird queue and she's been like really busy or it's been like absolutely like dead and quiet. But like, I never stop for long enough to have a chat. I bet you are like, no offence, but I bet you're like their worst fucking nightmare. Like showing up with like 55 fucking parcels. If I worked there, I'd be like, for fuck's sake, here she is again. Yeah. <laughs> Are you excited for Bake Off tonight? Uh, yeah, kind of. Like I really enjoyed the first week when it was like celebrity head cake week. And then I didn't really enjoy last week because it was biscuit week and it was a bit boring. I think it's because they started off so strong, they just couldn't compete with themselves. But I will watch it tonight. It's bread week. It's going to be... Surely it's going to be good. I love bread. <laughs> I mean, me too. Obviously, bread Bread is life. Bread is everything. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, like, 
bread week that one time that guy made that lion's face, right? And that was really good. So maybe we'll get something like that. I hope so. I'm excited. <laughs> of course. Hey, Faye, what would your demon have been this week? Off the back of your Alsatian last week, I was thinking, what do I want like more than anything this week? And I just want a big cuddle. So I thought about dogs and I thought about my favourite dog, which is a Shiba Inu. Um, there's Japanese dogs, which are so pretty and beautiful. They look like foxes. So it would be one of those just for the pure fact that I just want one of those dogs and I want it to cuddle me. And I know that demons are more than just a pet, but right now I just really want part of my own soul to be there for me and to cuddle me and that's what i want <laughs> amazing oh i like that yeah what about you what would your demon be this week you know what i'm not entirely sure but being as i'm about to go home i'm about to see my family we're about to go and do like loads of like long walks and stuff in the peak district i think a sheepdog would be the perfect demon because like they bloody love a long walk. They bloody love a massive long walk on the moors. They've got like loads of energy. Yeah, going home and seeing my family and the like going for long walks with their dogs will make me wish that I had a dog that was my demon. And yeah, I'm going for going for a sheepdog, a collie, a classic border collie. Aww. We've both got pups this week. We yeah. can take them for walks together. <laughs> oh, that would be so nice. We're going for the yeah. dogs. I just love dogs. I just want my own dog so bad. Although I did look into getting a Shiba Inu for a dog and apparently they're like really tough to train. Apparently they're like real little shits and they like mm -hmm. mull everywhere. And that's the thing. I would love a dog. And it's the same with cats. Like I would love a pet, but I just don't think I'm ready for the amount of like fur that will be on everything. I know that like you can get some dogs that don't mull, but the ones that I like do. And it's like, well, I don't know if I'm ready for your fur to be all over all of my things all the time. It's fine. You've got you've got sweet baby Rumba. You've got your like little <laughs> robot Hoover. So you wouldn't have like one of the main problems that people with pets have. And then you'd get to have like the dog interacting with the Hoover and that would be adorable. But like also if it's your demon, he probably understands what a Hoover is. And like, true. Do demons molt? Ooh. <laughs> do demons poop do demons eat do demons molt that's interesting i don't know if it like if they did it'd be really annoying if they settled as something that molted a lot imagine if you were a goth if you were a goth and your demon settled as a white cat uh. you would be fucked <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing like i wouldn't want because i wear a lot of black i just wouldn't want a, my pet's fur all over my clothes i grew up in a house with cats and i am more than used to it and for the affection of a cat or a dog, I think I'd I'd be fine with it. I'll go I'll get over it. <laughs> Shall we get into the chapter? Let's get into it. Last chapter, we joined Serafina as she tried to save a captured witch from being tortured by Mrs. Coulter. Serafina was on a mission to find Lyra and visited the witch's consul in Trollesend, then Thorold on Svalbard to try and find out more about Lord Asriel's plan. Serafina went home where we found out Lee was staying with the witches. We met Ruta Skardi, the queen of the Latvian witches, and it was a very gay chapter. It was so gay. I fucking loved it so much. In this chapter, we're back in the new world with Will and Lyra and learn more about their dynamic as they get to know each other. They meet two children who tell them that the town is deserted because of horrible things called spectres who feed on adults but not children. Will and Lyra go through to Will's world so that Lyra can find out more about dust. We open the chapter with Lyra, who's awoken from a horrible dream, where Lord Asriel, in the dream, 
it's like way back at the beginning of book one it's when lord Azrael's getting the head out of the vacuum pot and showing it to the scholars when he's doing his powerpoint presentation and in the dream she like wants to look but also is terrified to look in the flask and she knows she has to look in the flask whereas in real life we know she was like super keen to do it and it's supposed to be the head of oh stanislaw grumman who we heard mentioned last chapter and then when she actually opens the flask the head's not there and it's kind of like a little i feel like it's a moment where it's like oh is naira having like a strangely prophetic dream i had the same note i said this sounds like a prophetic dream to me and then i said like buffy or harry potter <laughs> drink twice uh, yeah <laughs> i think i made a note about buffy as well yes. yeah um and the one thing, the one note that I had for this, apart from it being a prophetic dream, is that I don't remember it being called a vacuum flask in in Northern Lights. I feel like it was just a box, right? I think it was a vacuum thing. I don't remember it being called a vacuum flask. Am I about to get up and check? I think I am. Hold that thought. Okay, go get go get that book. <laughs> okay, I'm back. I have the book. Loads of dust just came out of this book. <laughs> It's not been, even been that long since I fucking picked it up. Just with a capital D or a lowercase d? <laughs> lowercase d, unfortunately. Uh, uh, okay. It says, what have you got there, said the dean? Is that a vacuum container? And then they just call it a vessel. I think it was the word flask that threw me off in this, uh, in this chapter. When you say flask, you think of like a coffee flask? Yeah, yeah, like, oh, like a little hip flask. <laughs> yeah, so I think, yeah, bigger than that. A vacuum chamber, perhaps? Yeah. It's um, interesting, I know it mentions it actually in the chapter, but it's interesting that she's like terrified of what's going to be in this box. And it kind of made me wonder whether it's because she's grown up a lot since the first book and maybe the things that like would intrigue you and not scare you as a child. I know she's still a child, but the level of growing up that she's had to do in this in this period of time maybe it's like shifted her vantage point a little bit to be like actually i am pretty scared of a fucking head in a box well at that point when she was really keen to see it she hadn't really experienced that much of the world she'd only been at jordan college and she'd not seen any scary things she'd not seen a bear smack the jaw off another bear and then eat his heart <laughs> i mean that was kind of a good moment for her but she's seen some real shit since she left jordan and i'm sure she's like knows the weight and the gravity of what a severed head in a flask means now far more than she did back at the beginning of the first book yeah definitely no i like it. i like that it's yeah maybe a prophetic dream and I'm like hmm we've not had lyra have one of those before maybe she's even more like we knew she's special because she can read the alethiometer but maybe she's even more special because she has these like dreams as well or maybe it's just a weird dream hmm. and maybe it can be like if we're reading it in the sense of like her being like special maybe it's that her it's progressing so like in the first book she was able to read the alethiometer and that's really special and now, well, sorry, everyone's special. I just had to, <laughs> to say it. <laughs> and now, like, she's starting to have these dreams. Or we've seen her have this one dream. But yeah, maybe it's like her, like, power within the story is growing and within the worlds we know that she's destined for something. And maybe that means that she has to carry on growing this certain power that she has. I'd just like to say, as somebody that is prone to a nightmare, I bloody wish I had a demon. You know when you have like really bad insomnia or like you wake up for an hour and you really, really can't get back to sleep because every time you close your eyes, you keep you can't not, no matter how hard you try, trying not to think about the thing that was scary that woke you up, you 
can't not think about it kind of thing. If I had a demon, I swear it just, it would be so much better. Like Pan's there, he's like soothing her and making her feel better. I just bloody wish I had a demon. (laughs) Me too. It actually reminds me of a dream that I have a lot, which I'd not thought about for a while, but then Noelle Stevenson tweeted about it, the creator of She-Ra, the TV show. Bloody love Noelle. Yeah, she's great. And she drew a picture and it was her stood on the ground and uh, really big whales like flying over her head in the sky. I have that dream all the time, but I'm under the water and the whales are above me in the water. And it's like terrifying, but like amazing all at the same time. And I can't believe that she drew it and like posted it on Twitter because I was like, what the fuck? I have that dream all the time. Oh my God. I've never had that dream. I want that dream. <laughs> it's amazing but it is scary as well because like you are for me anyway i'm under the water and this fuck off whales flying over you it's like (laughs) (laughs) amazing i also wonder if lyra's fear is like one of those dream emotions where it's like it's not scary but it you you are scared because that's just like an implied part of the dream yeah maybe maybe i love dreams and like dreams within fiction i know we've already mentioned buffy but you get so many dream sequences in buffy which are really great and just any like kind of novel or tv show or whatever that or film that includes dream sequences and and how that like links to the lives of the characters are leading i really like that i fucking love a good dream sequence when it's done well it's like amazing when it's done badly it's the most cringy thing you've ever seen in your life (laughs) very true very true we love a dream we love a dream i love that she immediately asks the alethiometer about it and the alethiometer gives her the most i can only read this as sarcastic and deadpan the alethiometer says it was a dream about a head it's literally no fucking help whatsoever it's like thanks thanks for nothing alethiometer great cheers it's so sarcastic she's like get over yourself it was a dream about her head. <laughs> On that note, do you think, is it because she doesn't need to know that information? Or is it that it doesn't mean anything? Because like, we already know that it does mean something because Lee is on about going to find Stanislav's Grumman. So we know it means something. So why is it a lithiometer telling her, like, why is it being a bitch? You know what I mean? Why is it being a sarky bitch? <laughs> Maybe she asked the wrong question. Like she was like, what was my dream about? And the alethiometer was like, your dream was about a head. Rather than asking like, what was the deeper, she probably, maybe she phrased it wrong or something. Mm, yeah, maybe that's what I'm getting actually. I think that, yeah, maybe I'm thinking about the- She didn't ask the yeah, right question. You have to like frame it correctly to get a, a decent answer out of it. Otherwise it'll just apparently be a fucking sarky bitch with you. <laughs> Yes, I love it. Lyra makes an omelette and it's awful, but she's really proud of herself and I'm really proud of her too. Oh, I'm so proud Um, of her. And Pan's little sparrow and he pecks out all the eggshells from the omelette and I'm really here. Just so cute. Do you think that she cracked the eggs and then just got shelling accidentally, as you do sometimes? Or do you think that she just threw a fucking egg in there and just beat it up with a spoon so that it cracked and like all the shells in there? Or do you think it's just like tiny bits of shell? I think she probably tried to crack it and was just not very good at cracking an egg cleanly. Like, yeah, I'm sure she knows that you don't eat (laughs) eggshell. I mean, surely. She doesn't even know what an omelette is, so. Yeah, but she's seen eggs before. Has she seen somebody crack an egg before? Because she might be like, you just put it in and like just fucking move it around and it'll break. I don't know if Lyra understands eggs or not, but I would like to think she does. (laughs) 
<laughs> what I do know is that Will does not like the look of that omelette. And when she's like, I can make omelette. I'll make some for you if you like. He's just like really tactfully like, no, you're all right. I'll get some cereal. Yeah. And then Lyra doesn't know what cereal is either. Oh, bless. It made me think we kind of view Lyra's world as being old fashioned. This is potential to be a tangent, but when was cereal a thing? When did it become a thing? Shall I Google it? Yeah, it deserves Googling. I've definitely listened to a podcast about the origins of cereal before because that's oh the kind of God, podcast amazing. listener I am. Apparently it was 1863, James Caleb Jackson, a religiously conservative vegetarian who ran a medical sanitarium in Western New York, created a breakfast cereal from, gra- uh, Graham, is it Graham flour? Graham flour? If you're American, you say Graham flour, right? That was dried and broken into shapes, so they needed to be soaked in milk overnight. He called it, Granular. So I assume, obviously, granola. Interesting. We learn something new every day. Yeah. Maybe just, it was just never invented. It was one of those things that was never invented in Lyra's world. And I'm excited for a bit later in the chapter when we kind of have like an amazing crossover of understanding some of the linkages between historical etymology and the different etymology of words within Lyra's world and Will's world. And it makes me really happy. (laughs) So they're having a chat over their breakfast and basically Lyra catches Will up on how she got to this world and how she wandered around in some fog eating berries until she stumbled into the city, which it's very Lyra. (laughs) It must have been like quite terrifying to wander around in fog for days. I imagine that's very claustrophobic. Yeah, she seems pretty chill about it though. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's just me, isn't it? Every time something potentially claustrophobic comes up, I'm like, that seems claustrophobic, I'm out. Maybe there's like a little mini novel to be written about Lyra's lost days, because she's not even sure how long she was lost there. Like, what happened? How did she not walk off a cliff? She says that when she kind of came out of the fog, she was up on a cliff and it's like, is there an alternative version of this book where Lyra walks off a cliff in the fog? Because I'm I'm not down with that. Yeah, can you imagine how fucking terrifying that would be as well to just be wandering around in fog and then just fucking walk off a cliff no i don't want that i don't want that for us that's why i'm amazed she's wandering around i'd have just stood still and hoped that nothing happened (laughs) (laughs) just stood still like reaching out for berries (laughs) please are there berries here (laughs) Uh, please mister (laughs) where are my berries (laughs) Will's like, are you sure it's not just another part of your world? And they have this conversation about how they both just knew what there was something about the difference between their own world and the the new world that they're both in right now. They just knew it. There's nothing tangible to tell you that it's a different world, but you just know in your core. And I love that. Will's wondering how many worlds there are. And Lyra's like, millions and millions. And then talks about how Kaiser told her about it, which I remember that when he like really nonchalantly and like gracefully like flapped his wings and was like, I've just touched a thousand worlds in the last book. And I was like, I wrote a note about that too, because I was like, you fucking (laughs) sassy Kaiser. Of course I remember that. If I remember one thing, it's when demons are being sassy. Yes. (laughs) Will's like, well, what about the, the window? that he found Lyra assumes that the bridge is the only way over but it's kind of like well actually Will came through through a window so we're all, we're all learning even though we learned that last chapter it's kind of like coming together that there's actually more ways than one to get into these different worlds yeah she thinks that it's all because of Asriel and that Asriel's the first person to ever have done it but actually it, this window seems to have nothing to do with Asriel, but Lyra reckons that maybe the worlds are like merging closer because of Asriel's experiment. Also, it's like, how long has that window that Will found, how long has that been there? Yeah, well, this is the thing we don't know, isn't it? And I hope we get to find out. 
So they end up kind of having more of a conversation about dust and Lyra's a bit like shirty about it. She's a bit cold with Will about it. I think it's because she knows that it's a really touchy subject in her world and he doesn't really understand. Like he's still asking about dust with a lowercase d. Mm. In this chapter, there's like, we're kind of getting to know Will and Lyra more. And we're learning that like Lyra's being quite cold with Will, but then Will's being actually quite like later on in the chapter which we'll get to but he's quite brutal with lyra like the way that he speaks to her and stuff and it's in it's an interesting dynamic the amount that we loved will in the first chapter i still like will but it's kind of like it's put like a tiny little dampener on it because like i think he says at some point that he was like if you give me away i'll kill you bit fucking brutal and he's like really short with her and stuff and i'm 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 not into it this is where they have this conversation that i really enjoy about will trying to find out what it is that this dust even is so that he can help lyra find the right person in his world because she keeps saying she wants to find a scholar which we know from when they first met she is talking about experimental theologians which we know a lot of the jordan scholars were and that's where she was learning about dust from a lot of the time but there's not a word that will has and then she starts talking about how it's all to do with elementary particles and, and baromagnetism and stuff and atom craft. And I was like, what magnetism? And baromagnetism, like ambarics, like the lights. And then he's like, oh, we call them electric. And then Lara's like, electric, like electrum. That's a kind of stone, a jewel made out of the gum from trees. It's got insects in it. And then Will's like, oh, you mean amber. And then they both go, amber. Because <laughs> it's like this amazing light bulb moment. And I just really enjoy it. I'm sure Philip Pullman was like really proud of himself when he wrote this. Oh, totally. Because he was like, I've been so clever for a whole book and I've not pointed it out and now I can point it out. <laughs> <laughs> and like everyone can do these stepping stones with me as these characters do these stepping stones to like how my brains like remove this world by degrees from the other world in a way that's so clever and like linguistically it's exciting and like, all right, Phil, give yourself a pat on the back. (laughs) We get it, Phil. You're really clever. We understand. Yeah. (laughs) One of the other things that I wanted to pull out about this bit is that going back to in the first chapter when we had that moment where Lyra lingered on Will when he had his shirt off making the omelette and we get here, it says after they both say Amber, and each of them saw their own expression on the other's face, Will remembered that moment for a long time afterwards. And I'm just going to allow myself to read into that a little bit because it could just mean that like he remembered it because it was a moment where they both kind of realise how similar but how different their worlds are. But I'm going to read it as I think there's some there's some kind of like chemistry lol, between them and there's something going on here that's deeper than they maybe know yet. Yeah, I think maybe it's like the first example of a conversation that they've had where they're not on guard and they're kind of having like a regular flow of a conversation and they've got a rapport Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and like a common moment because they're both very on guard when they very first meet and I think they're still quite on guard through the rest of this chapter. That's true. And maybe he's like remembers it because this is the first moment I think both of their guards come down while they're having this moment of discovery together and I I agree I really love it yeah it kind of allows them to be more of themselves around each other which we haven't really seen yet Will kind of like sounds it out and realizes that she wants scientists not theologians and then Lyra's just like oh yeah I'll find him classic sassy Lyra oh it's fine I'll work it out oh Lyra (laughs) 
they get interrupted before they finish their conversation fully. They hear children's voices, which is really unusual because the city's been abandoned for so long. And Lyra's been here for at least three or four days and looked everywhere and there is nobody here. But there's two children and it's a girl that's about the same age as Lyra and then a little boy. And they are the sassiest kids you'll ever meet, basically. (laughs) Pan notices that they don't have demons either and very cleverly just hides immediately, which is great. We find out that the place that they are in is called... Okay, I'm going to spell it and then I'm going to say it because I feel like nobody knows how to pronounce it. And it's going to be like Takai. Worse. (laughs) So it's C I T T A with a little hat, G A Z Z E. As a kid reading it, I would always say Sitagazi or Kitagazi, I think. But we've we've heard people from the TV show pronounce it Chitagazi. It's interesting because there's two. They they say it two ways, don't they? So they say the way that you just spelled, and then there's like an abbreviation which is C I apostrophe G-A-double-Z-E. When I read it for the first time, I said, uh, sorry, I said Sitagazi or Sitagazi. And then, uh, yeah, in the TV show, when we, well, sorry, when we've spoken to people that have been involved with the TV show, they have definitely said Chitagazi. And I googled it when looking through this chapter, like, to see if there's a consensus. And on the His Dark Materials wiki, it it tells you how to pronounce it phonetically and it says Chitagazi. I think that's probably the right way to say it. There'll be so many people that are listening that'll be like, yes, it fucking is the right way to say it. All the other words that you pronounced it is so wrong. And we're sorry. <laughs> we're not very good at pronunciation. Yeah. And this book is written for like a young audience that isn't going to go away and Google how to pronounce something when they're reading. Like, oh my God, the number of books that I've read where I've just completely misread. I mean, there's a little bit of like semi-dyslexic brain happening where I just like, I'll read a name and the first few times I've read it, I've jumbled up some letters and I cannot unjumble them when I'm reading the books now. Various names and stuff in different fantasy novels and I've just been reading it wrong this whole time and it's only when I like have to sit and look at it and read it out loud that I realise that I've just not been saying it right this whole time. Uh, didn't you have it with Hermione at first? Oh yeah, I am... Um... Oh, I called her Hermione. Well, I'm so with you on that. I There's still so many words that are quite common that I still have only read and I've never heard them said out loud. And when I hear people say them, I'm like, oh, that's not how I pronounced it in my head when I was reading. I think I might have said this early, early on in the podcast, but I'm very much like, because I read so fast, if I read a word that I don't understand or don't really know what it is, it's very unlikely, like you said, that I'm going to Google it I just kind of skip past it. My eyes just like glaze over it and I just don't even try and pronounce it in my head. And I think like a lot of the names in this book and a lot of the places I did the exact same thing. So it's only like when coming to this podcast, I'm like, oh, I actually have to say these words out loud now and think about how I would pronounce them, which is definitely wrong. So I'm shit at pronouncing stuff. (laughs) If you're reading it alone in your head, nobody can judge you for your mispronunciations. But when you start a podcast there's kind of a bit of pressure to say it right. Oh, exactly. (laughs) But like, I think the thing that I I do enjoy about that and the podcast is actually learning how to say it properly and talking about it because I bet a lot of people are the same. Oh, definitely. You're not alone, people. (laughs) They get into a conversation with these kids about like, where are they from? And that's when obviously they say they're from the city that they're in, which is called Chitagatze. And Will asks, where are the grown-ups? And this is when we learn about spectres. So spectres, I don't know about you, but the first thing that I thought when I read the word spectre and what they do 
Dementors? Yep. Everybody take a drink. The Harry Potter has been... Well, take multiple drinks because we've referenced it many times already and you've not had a single drink yet. (laughs) Yeah, definitely that vibe. I feel like there's probably lots of like myths and legends of similar things because it's like... It's very like a vampire legend as well at the same time or like... Oh, is it Colin Robinson who's an emotional vampire, uh, an energy vampire? Yes, in, in What We Do in the Shadows. It's that vibe of like, yes, yeah, not physically taking your blood, but taking something from inside you that makes you hollow. I think that you are most likely correct in the sense that um, there's probably like myths and legends and things from other cultures that are very similar to Spectres and Dementors, but I'm not very well versed in those types of things. And it, it, before I thought of that option, I thought of, I wonder, J.K. Rowling, as much as I don't want to speak her name, I wonder if she was directly influenced by his dark materials for any of the stuff in Harry Potter, because we know that Harry Potter came a little bit after his dark materials, and there's a lot of similarities. There are, like, I've noticed so, so many, and I think, like, Spectres and Dementors is one of the biggest ones that we get. Yeah. It also just made me think back to the first book when Lyra's exchanging stories with Tony Costa, and they mention a thing in the forest that you can't see it, but if you walk into it, it pulls all the energy out of you or something. And, like, I love the idea of Phil, like, pulling from his own legends as well. But, yeah, definitely strong demental vibes from it which i think we'll kind of potentially see more of especially when angelica which is the little girl's name and the little boy is called paolo kind of explains what specters are but she is real sassy about it because it's really weird to her that lyra and will or lizzie and mark uh don't know what specters are yeah but first little paolo puts his foot in it yeah and yeah he talks about I'm gonna say this just as Tulio. I think that's right. Is that right? I would say Tulio. Tulio, but only Tulio. because of watching the Road to El Dorado. One of them's called Tulio. It's interesting because these names are quite Italian, right? That's the vibe that I'm getting here. Mm-hmm. Paolo mentions Tulio, and then Angelica gets mad at him because he shouldn't have mentioned him. But the secret was out now, and he is their big brother, and he's hiding till he can. He's just hiding, apparently. And then Paolo says, he's going to get, but then Angela smacked him hard and he shut his mouth at once. So there's something going on here, obviously, with Tulio that we do not know yet. Yeah, there's definitely something going on. I just feel really sorry for poor little Paolo. Like, he doesn't know. He's one of those kids who's at that age where he, like... Any information that's in his head, he's just desperate to depart onto any other human being because he's really proud that he knows things. And so I just feel bad that Angelica's mean to him. Yeah, me too. Me too. We find out that, yeah, the reason the city is empty is because the fog came and then the city was full of spectres. So the grown-ups left, but the kids are coming back. And so there'll be more kids before long. They kind of have more conversation about spectres. And I just want to read out this little snippet of... Angelica telling Will and Lyra about what spectres do, Mm -hmm. which is written in a classic Philip Pullman writing a dialect into the speech (laughs) that just makes it all sound a bit like Oliver Twist in my head when I'm reading it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when a spectre catch a grown up, that's bad to see. They eat the life out of them there and then, all right. I don't want to be grown up for sure. At first, they don't know it's happening, and they're afraid, and they cry and cry. 
They try and look away and pretend it ain't happening, but it is. It's too late and no one ain't going to go near them. They on their own. Then they get pale and they stop moving. They're still alive, but it's like you've been eaten out from the inside. You look in their eyes, you can see the back of their heads. Ain't nothing there. And that was really hard to read out loud because Philip bloody loves to do a really hard to read out loud dialect. Yeah. So great. Thanks, Phil. Cheers, um, Very dementory, very worrying, very scary. But also there's a really interesting parallel to be drawn between spectres and dust because Angelica's and Paolo are saying like kids aren't afraid of them. Kids can't see them. Adults are afraid of them. Adults can see them. Mm. And like dust settles on adults but not on children and all this kind of like this constant distinction that Pullman's drawing between something that defines the difference between adults and children and this is just like another thing that affects adults but not children that's interesting because I didn't I didn't even draw that parallel when I was reading it and like I think that's one of the reasons why there's so many fucking things in these books that you could read them like a million times and read a different thing into it each time but yeah, I didn't even draw that comparison, but you're so right. So I wanted to ask, so, so that paragraph that you just read, mm-hmm. it says at first they know it's happening and they're afraid. Does y'all say they know it's happening or does it say they don't know it's happening? They know it's happening. Okay, good. Mine does too. I thought that it said... Did I say don't know when I read it out loud? I think so, but it doesn't matter. Oh, sorry. She says all this and then she's like, me and Paolo is going to look for some ice creams. Do you want to come and find some? And they're like... No, thanks. We've got something else to do. And it's so casual and I love it. <laughs> it's so casual. And it reminds me, it like kind of reminds you as well that they're kids. Mm. Like they're mm-hmm. kids recounting these like horrible things that have happened to people that they know. And Lyra and Will are kids like in this new world with no adults around. And yeah, it's just, it, for me, it was a fair reminder that these are children talking and seeing all these horrific things. Oh, definitely. And like, it doesn't register and engage with them properly. And what they're actually wanting to do is go and find ice cream. Yeah. Because they don't necessarily understand exactly. the scariness of the situation. Definitely. She mentions that they like they love it when the spectres come because the kids get to like run around the city and do what they want. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me a bit of um, the Pied Piper, but like the opposite. Do you know, like, because all the kids, doesn't the Pied Piper take all the kids to that cave? Yeah. And it just, like, the adults being up on a cliff or in a cave or wherever it says they are, it just reminds, while, like, the kids run around, it just reminds me of that. It's kind of like the inverse. Yeah. All the kids are here, but all the adults got taken away. Yeah. One of the things that I wanted to call out is fucking Paula. I love him so much. One of the things that he says earlier when they're talking, first talking about spectres just before Angelica tells us what they are. He says, kill the buggers. He says, I ain't afraid of spectres, all right. Kill the buggers. And then at the end, when he leaves, he says, goodbye then. Kill the spectres. <laughs> it's so cute. It's just like, it's what he's picked up as a kid though, isn't it? Like grown-ups are afraid of it and angry of it. And like, they're probably like, oh, how do we deal with the spectres? So he's like, yeah, kill the spectres. Like they're the main thing that are bad in life. Yeah, like it's such a, ugh. It's so cute. And I just love that that's his like, Goodbye. Yeah. Kill spectres. Maybe that's how everybody does it. Maybe it's the like, um, blessed be the fruit, may the Lord open of that oh world. God. Like, kill the spectres. Yeah, kill the spectres. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Okay, right. This next bit is really fucking interesting. So Pan sticks his little, bless him, sticks his little mouse head out of Lyra's pocket and he talks to Will directly. He says, they don't know about this window that you found. And I am so sure that 
in Northern Lights, I can't remember when it was. I have a feeling it might have been when Farda Corum's talking to Lyra and they're talking about demons. It, I'm pretty sure it says it's really rare for demons to talk to other humans other than the humans that they are connected to. This is super interesting, but like Pan's not got another demon there to talk to. He'd usually talk to the other person's demon, but Wills is inside him. So maybe he just views it as exactly the same talking to Will as talking to Will's demon. Oh my God, that's so true. I didn't even think about that. There's so many things that I clearly have not thought about, but yeah, that's that's really true. So like, I suppose Pan's option is is to not speak to will ever yeah he's stuck only talking to lyra like yeah or to speak to him because he knows that his demons inside him oh my god rich you're smashing it <laughs> i i'm not doing so good <laughs> no i only thought of that at, literally as you were saying it i was like oh maybe yeah and it's the first time that will's heard pan speak and he's like what in the fuck yeah I was like, I knew you had a mouse that could turn into a bird and a wasp and all of these different things but i didn't know you had one that could talk <laughs> And then this is where Lyra says, did you think he was just a pet? No, we know Pan's not a pet. We know that. He says, like, it was only strange for a moment talking to a mouse. And it's like, this is actually an interesting paragraph, but before I read it, he's just been through so fucking much that he's probably just like, talking mouth, sure, that figures. Mm. I really like that he's just, like, immediately accepting of it and just talks to Pan immediately and doesn't, like... It's a thing that you hear about a lot with anyone that has an interpreter or like a sign language interpreter or even just like a translator where like you're having a conversation with someone and instead of talking to the person they're supposed to be having the conversation with who is the person that needs translating for or interpreting for people end up talking to the interpreter yeah and it becomes really frustrating for the other person and I wonder if uh, that's kind of like a sign of Will just being really good at like picking up social cues and stuff of being like oh Pan is also a person. I'll just talk to Pan. And it's not like Pan talks and Will talks to Lyra and ignores Pan, which could be a thing Mm. that really easily happens if you're not used to seeing demons and you can't dissociate them from being like a pet. Yeah, maybe. And I think as well, that kind of speaks to what we were talking about in the first chapter with Will being really emotionally intelligent. He's picking up on stuff and like doing it right. (laughs) So here it says... It was only strange for a moment talking to a mouse. Then it was no more strange than talking into a telephone because he was really talking to Lyra. But the mouse was separate. There was something of Lyra in his expression, but something else too. It was too hard to work out when there were so many strange things happening at once. So this is interesting because obviously we know that Pan and Lyra are connected and that people are connected to their demons in Lyra's world. But... In my brain, like, this was kind of the first time, not the first time it, well, it was kind of the first time that it really clicked, especially when I was first reading, that Pan and Lyra are the same. Like, Pan is Lyra, Lyra is Pan, like, Pan is made from Lyra, and it has something of Lyra in his expression, and it was like, he was really talking to Lyra, and I think, yeah, that's the first time for me when I read it the first time through that I was like, yeah, they're the fucking same. I think... There was a tweet that Philip Pullman did at one point when someone was asking about what it would be like for an animal to look at a person and a demon because there's never any confusion. He says there's like an int- intrinsic like knowledge of the difference between animals and demons. And that mm. if an animal were looking at a person and their demon, even if the demon was the same shape as them, they'd be like, oh, look, there's a person. There's the big bit of the person and there's the other bit of the person. Yeah. And like it's just two parts of a person and that there's no like filter that says that's an animal that's a person or anything like that which i kind of 
maybe that maybe that's Will's moment of processing that of being like, oh, that's the big bit of Lyra, and that's the little bit of Lyra that's currently a mouse. Yeah, 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 totally. I like I like that a lot. And then uh, Will tells Lyra that she has to get some clothes, which I'm glad because we were wondering in the first chapter, weren't we, if she was still wearing those horrible, stinky, horrendous clothes that she'd been wearing for ages, all her furs. Yeah, and that she's got to have a wash. Oh my god, how. It just must be really, really horrible to be told that you need to have a bath, I think. Yeah. Um, to have that kind of judgment, I think it's a really sensitive topic. I'm sure Lyra's not seeing it that way because she's grown up in quite a privileged, privileged position. But like mm. the topic of like having to talk to someone about personal hygiene, I think is really, really difficult and awkward. And the fact that Will is just so blunt about it is simultaneously like kind of shocking, but also, I guess, good. But maybe he has taken from Lyra that the blunter and more straightforward he is, the more responsive she is. I don't know. Yeah, that's true, because she was responsive to him in the first chapter, but I I kind of, like, in this chapter, I'm I'm not that keen on how he's talking to her. Like, oh, he no. says things like, you better listen to me uh, or you'll get caught uh, and things like that. And I'm just like, well, calm down, mate. Do you know what I mean? He gets a bit bossy boots, I think, definitely, because he... In part, you're like, okay, he's covering his own back. He's trying to stay hidden. But you're right. This is where he says, you better listen to me or you'll get caught. If they find where you come from and the window and everything, well, this is a good hiding place, this world. See, I got to hide from some men. This is the best hiding place I could dream of and I don't want it found out. So I don't want you giving it away by looking out of place or as if you don't belong. I got my own things to do in Oxford and if you give me away, I'll kill you. Which... Either that's like, okay, let's re-remember that he is 12 years old. A 12-year-old being like, I'll kill you, is like a 12-year-old being like, my dad will beat up your dad kind of vibe. Like, it can't be taken that seriously. But equally, he has also killed someone. He knows the gravity of those words. And I don't, yeah, I don't love the idea of him having, talking to Lyra that way. I don't think she deserves to be spoken to that way because up until this point, he's been quite sensitive with her and the mm. fact that her views are different from his because she's from a different world and now he's just like being a bit blunt about it yeah i'm not here for it at all and it reminds me again of we got an email a long time ago actually it was in december so it was way before we'd started the soul knife and it was from reed reed i hope i'm pronouncing your name right and they were talking about something that was irking them about book two is how Lyra is becoming submissive to Will. And I won't go into too much more detail because they're referring to things that we haven't gotten to yet in the book. But I will say that I kind of agree with them at this point because I feel like here where Will has said, I'll kill you, it says she swallowed, the alethiometer never lied, this boy was a murderer and if he'd killed before, he could kill her too. She nodded seriously and she meant it. All right, she said. And I understand that Lyra obviously is harbouring some fear because Will has killed before, Mm. but it just doesn't seem like our Lyra. It really doesn't. And that kind of takes me back to Daphne's response to this question in her interview, Mm. which was that this isn't our Lyra. She has suffered like the biggest loss she's ever suffered in her life four days ago. Yeah. Um, And she is, whilst it's not written about, and I wish it was written about a bit more, perhaps in some of these moments, she's probably got a lot going on in her head and she's not the chatty, verbose, bossy, 
I mean, bossy with like the greatest respect. I hate it as an insult, but I love it as like a term of like empowerment for a small girl. But like mm-hmm. that vibe that Lyra's in had her whole life of like, she's always the like center of attention and like the life of the party. She's not got that vibe right now. And I think a massive part of that is that she's grieving a kid who was basically like a brother to her. And so I have a lot of space for Lyra acting differently. Mm. I don't blame Lyra for it all, but I do not Mm. want to make the space for that to be okay for Will to potentially have like, be on the edge of like bullying her into some things. I don't appreciate that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Also, interesting that you mentioned Lyra grieving because it's it's easy to forget that because I don't think Roger's been mentioned yet in this book no so it's and i know that we haven't had a lot from lyra's perspective yet it's kind of we've had it from will's perspective really and then obviously we had the chapter with seraphina so maybe we'll get into that further when we when we're back with lyra if that does happen it's interesting to think about that because yeah we just haven't had that time with lyra with her to grieve yet but it's easy to forget it's easy to forget she's yeah she's going through something but it would help if phil pointed it out a bit more (laughs) yeah that's true Throw us a burn, Phil. We only read the last chapter of Northern Lights earlier in the summer, but we are uh, goldfish. We have goldfish memories, so you can't expect us to remember. And we're all still... I'm still grieving for Roger. R.I.P. Roger. Justice for Roger. More page time for Roger. Even after he's dead, like... I just wish Lyra would think about... Be written thinking about it more, because I think it's an explanation for her change in behaviour, but yeah, I don't think that it's explained on the page and i wish it was will kind of just keeps going on about how lyra needs to have a bath which i'm not super here for like i get it he points out that it's a factor that would make her noticeable in his world if she's like looking unkempt and unclean especially as a child or looking like vulnerable and unclean and all this kind of stuff would be raising flags for people in his world but he doesn't need to go on about it he could just be like just have a shower like it honestly It will help. Do you want me to show you how to use the taps? Do you have taps in your world? <laughs> like, he doesn't know. I just think it's really harsh that he won't tell her how to use shampoo. Right? <laughs> like, it would have taken you, like, two fucking seconds to explain that. And I just think it's deliberately harsh. I think he's doing it on purpose, which is what I don't like about it. It's a bit... I think it's a little bit of a ingrained sexism there as well. A little bit of patriarchy seeping mm. through of being like, she's a girl and she doesn't know how to wash her hair. Ugh, work it out kind of thing you're like oh shampoo is and like washing like long hair is girl stuff so i don't know about it you're gonna have to work out by yourself and he doesn't necessarily have that vibe entirely but you can see that that might be where it's coming from yeah i'm just hoping that in this world there are instructions on the shampoo bottle like our world that lyra can read so that she can wash her hair properly yeah oh lyra Lyra goes upstairs and Pan turns into a rat and glares at Will over her shoulder, which Will (laughs) bloody deserves because he could have gone about that far more compassionately than he did. Um, And I love sassy rat Pan. I'm here for it. Sassy rat Pan. (laughs) So There's a bit that I wanted to call out here and and not to... Not in a defense of Will's behavior, because it's wrong regardless, but we get a bit of an insight as to the feelings that he's having, and he's overwhelmed. It says that uh, part of him wanted to wander around this sunny, silent morning exploring the city, and another part trembled with anxiety for his mother, and another part was still numb with shock at the death he'd caused. And overhanging them all, there was a task he had to do. So 
He's got a lot of shit going on. Yeah. And also, do we know what the task he has to do is? Not necessarily. I think his it involves finding out what's in the writing case and finding out more about his father. I think perhaps that's it. That's all we know at the moment. Um, aside from being on the run and protecting his mother somehow. Yeah. I get... This is the thing, like, I can... Will's in this really difficult position as well and being snappy with somebody can easily happen when you're under a lot of emotional strain but i yeah i just don't have a lot of space for like his tone with lyra <laughs> um no, me he hides the leather writing case uh under a bed where he thinks it will be safe in the other world which i don't understand that logic because he knows the <laughs> other world is like gonna be swarming with random stray children pretty soon um yeah. <laughs> and yeah he's he's gonna come back and like read this writing case later and whatever's in it and lyra comes down looking clean and they go and find her some clothes and lyra refuses to wear jeans because that's not what girls do in her world oh, don't you just hate it don't you just hate to see it mm-hmm. it's like come on lyra just put some trousers on they're more practical for what you're going to be doing I don't blame her necessarily because she's grown up with this being ingrained into her by the society she's grown up in and stuff. And, you know, there's, I'm sure everybody, like I definitely had a phase when I was like a small kid where I refused to wear trousers because I didn't want to be a boy and boys were smelly because society loves to enforce a binary and create rivalry between <laughs> a binary yeah. genders. And it's great. <laughs> um, but then there was also a phase when I was like, I'm a tomboy. I will only wear trousers. You can't get me in a skirt, even if you try. And so like your relationship to clothing can be really, really emotional and quite strong. Definitely. I'm not blaming Lyra. I just think that everything that she's been through in the last book I thought that she would be maybe a little more open-minded about things like that. There's also no fucking way she's been through all of the stuff that she went through in the last book entirely in skirts. I refuse to believe it. I refuse to believe it. It's just so (laughs) impractical. And think how cold her little legs would be, right? She could, obviously, she had her furs and all that kind of stuff. But if she was just wearing, like, long john's tights, whatever, it's not as warm as, as a pair of trousers. No. It just doesn't make sense to have her in a skirt. Like, no, it just doesn't. It's not practical. And I love that because when we were talking to Caroline, the costume designer, she was talking about how it really, really isn't practical to have Lyra in a skirt because she climbs on rooftops. And so even the skirt that Daphne Keene is wearing in the first episode of the His Dark Materials TV show, that's actually shorts that were cleverly made so that she could maintain, like... A decency while climbing up a yeah. rooftop like there's no way that lyra was doing that in a skirt without wearing like leggings or something that was close enough to trousers that she would not have this much of an adverse reaction to a pair of jeans yeah and i like as well you mentioned obviously you mentioned the tv show we see in the season two trailer that thankfully Lyra is wearing I think she's wearing dungarees or she's wearing trousers she's not wearing a skirt anyway so it's it's nice to see that they didn't go with that for season two definitely it just doesn't make sense for her she's too practical for that and yeah so I'm just kind of going to ignore it I'm going to pretend that she can wear whatever the fuck she wants (laughs) Philip you wrote that wrong that's not what our Lyra would do (laughs) no exactly I laughed at this next bit because it says before they left, Will dropped some coins in the till behind the counter. What are you doing? She said. 
paying. You have to pay for things. Don't they pay for things in your world? They don't in this one. I bet those other kids aren't paying for a thing. They might not, but I do. And she said, if you start behaving like a grown-up, the spectres will get you. And I just wanted to say that this made me think that in this situation, I would be Lyra and you would be Will. I would be the one that's like, what are you paying for that for? And you'd be like, because it's nice. I'd be like, well, nobody else is paying for stuff. <laughs> if we were kids, not now, because obviously I would pay now. But if we met when we were children, I believe we would probably have, have had a conversation like this if yeah, we were in this I world. Yeah, I was a little where... bit of a goody two-shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's so good about having two shoes, but, you know, goody two-shoes. I know, it's such me. a weird expression. It really it? is, isn't it? I wonder where it comes from. That's a no sideline for another another occasion, if you know. Oh, if you know. If you know. Tweet it email to us. us. Tweet us. <laughs> yeah. But I love that it's her, like, testing the water. Like, he's just been yeah. really harsh to her. He's threatened to kill her or whatever, but she's testing the water on this, like, sarcastic little joke to be like, oh, does he have a sense of humour? Oh, let's find out. Like, it would be nice to know if he had a sense of humour. So, yeah. Totally. And then we learn that the... The place that they're, that they're in is kind of a bit shabby, right? So instead of like building new things, they've kind of plastered over other things in the sense of like if there's um, like there's plaster peeling and like holes in the road that hadn't been repaired and like broken windows and stuff like that. So it's not really been that well looked after. Yeah, it makes me think of a description of Jordan College from the very beginning of the first book about how it's like mm. constantly under repair it's kind of a work in progress and like there's always scaffolding and stuff around it and there's always people working on it and like maintaining it yeah um and it kind of had that impression of like everything is a little bit like it's not been knocked down and made new it's just being repaired and like constantly patched together i think it's quite a nice comparison definitely yeah and then there's an interesting bit here. It says, At one point they came to a tower standing on its own in a little square. It was the oldest building they'd seen. A simple battle, a simple battlemented tower, four stories high. Something about its stillness in the bright sun was intriguing, and both Will and Lyra felt drawn to the half-open door at the top of the broad steps. But they didn't speak of it, and they went half-reluctantly on. Get your pins out. Get a pin out. Put, put a pin in that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah there's something obviously going on with this tower because i don't think i don't think fit old phil would have mentioned it if there wasn't something about it so yeah stick your pin in that indeed <laughs> mm -hmm. then they go and find a window pretty much which is very exciting will struggles to find it and then he finds it I love it. He kind of finds it. It's a similar, very similar description to how we saw from the Oxford mm. end of it when he found it the first time. And then when Lyra sees it, she was a gog. She looked as astounded as he'd looked to hear Pantaleman talk. She looked as shocked about the window being magical and different as he looked shocked about hearing Pan speak. And I tried to yep. read it out and my mouth wouldn't <laughs> let me. <laughs> you almost got there. You almost got there. Uh, and Pan becomes a wasp and like whizzes around it to look at it. They have to kind of keep to one side so you can't see some disembodied legs from the other side. <laughs> yeah. At this bit, number one, I love that Pan's a wasp. I think that's great. Uh, number two... It says, while she rubbed her still slightly wet hair into spikes. And I would like to know if this is what, if this is the same as what I used to do when I was a teenager, when I was in the bath or the shower, and I used to roll my hair into spikes so that I could look like Brody Doll from the distillers. Amazing. I don't know. I kind of imagine that as like when you like, have just, you've got wet hair and it's like plastered down flat against your head. So you put your fingers in it and you ruffle it and it like separates it all into segments that are a bit spikier than if it was like one flat sheet of wet hair. 
but equally it could be also i'm imagining lydia deets with her like little spiked fringe in beetlejuice yeah oh i don't know if lyra has a fringe or not but i'd love to imagine that she was doing that with her fringe on her forehead i thought you were gonna say i don't know if lyra's a fan of beetlejuice i don't she might be a fan of beetlejuice i mean maybe she's heard of it (laughs) she might be a fan of beetlejuice and the distillers who knows she could have been like us when we were teenagers i really hope that lyra would have listened to the distillers as a kid Yes. Oh, me too. <laughs> me too. Basically, they talk about Lyra going through on her own, right? And she's kind of like, what's that noise? And he explains that it's traffic and it's part of the Oxford Ring Road. She takes off a bag, she throws it through, and then she goes through as well. He gives her some rubbish road instructions, which I wouldn't be able to follow because I have a terrible sense of direction. And he's like, oh, when you go through, you'll see a road, go to the left and then just carry on going and you'll get where you're going. And like, he's just going to just like push her into his world and leave her to it. Which seems a bit naive, I think. Yeah. But also she just goes for it and he conveniently explains that it's traffic and there's a ring road, but doesn't say that there's a car. <laughs> so yeah. Lyra like shoots on through into the world. It doesn't appear to have been noticed that she's gone through or whatever. And then from the other side, Will just hears a squeal of brakes and a bang and he looks through and through the window and Lyra's lying on the grass because she's just been hit by a car because he didn't explain that there are cars and she just walked it out in front of a car. I feel like there's something weirdly comical about this moment and it's kind of not what I would have expected from Philip. Like, I, we know that she's okay, obviously. If something horrendous had happened, then it wouldn't be comical. But there's just something so strange about her stepping out and being hit by a car. It just doesn't seem very Lyra. And I think probably part of it is because it's a car and we haven't seen like Lyra interact with anything like that before. So it just seems like so strange to me. And I was just like, huh, this is quite funny in a very strange way. It's very much like, um, have you seen the comedy sketch that's the overconfident man that can't get through doors? Yes, on it's a, a li- big train, right? Yeah, um, it's a little bit that because it's like she's like, "Yep, I've got this cool new world. Lyra can do anything," and then just immediately walks out. And like, it would be funnier if she like walked out and tripped over her shoelaces. Like getting hit by a car is not as funny, but uh, yeah, it's I, that similar level of like confidence met with immediate disaster as mm. a result of being overconfident. I think. Yeah, totally, totally, but. That made it got it got me thinking about how cars are used so often in pop culture as like a real indicator of like this person's not from here, they're from a different world because they don't understand cars. And so we messaged our friends on a group chat and tried to get everyone to think of anything where somebody's from a different world or a different time, and one of the first things they interact with when they get to that new world is a car. And that they don't understand how to deal with it or they just get hit by it. So we've obviously got our Lyra. It made me think in Enchanted, um, one of the first things that happens when Giselle goes through is she almost gets hit by a car and then gets picked up by somebody. And then her prince, when he comes to save her, thinks that a bus is a dragon and like stabs it with a sword, Um, (laughs) which I love. Um, And in Hocus Pocus, our friend Zach pointed out that the witches think that the road is a black river and that the cars are some kind of like things on a river. Mm -hmm. And Johnny mentioned that there's a really sad bit in Shawshank Redemption where um, somebody was in prison when cars became a popular thing that suddenly everybody had one. And so when he got released from prison, he was really like 
shocked and scared by how many cars there were. My housemate Will pointed out a really good one, which is that, um, oh, I can't remember his name, the guy from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Ford, someone Ford, when he's observing the planet Earth, all he, all he can see is cars moving around on the planet's surface. So when he first gets to Earth, he thinks that cars are the main inhabitants of the planet and, and he tries to shake hands with one and like nearly gets hit by a car because he tries to introduce himself to a car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the one that I thought of was Back to the Future um, in the first Back to the Future film when Marty goes back to the 60s and one of the first things that happens to him is he's trying to protect his dad and he runs out to stop his dad from getting hit by a car and then he gets hit by a car. Um, And then the other one, what Liam brought up, is quite a newer one actually. It's in the second season of The Umbrella Academy. I don't want to spoil too much, but there's a time jump and the first thing that happens to one of the characters is they get hit by a car. So it's definitely a trope. Of like, yeah, new world, immediately hit by a car. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. I just think it's a really great way of like, it must be like what's like a really ubiquitous thing in our world that like everybody kind of understands what one is or a car what's something that they don't have in like fantasy worlds some like sci-fi worlds the past like loads of things that would like put someone out of place and out of time so like it just makes sense to have them interacting with this thing it's kind of like lyra being surprised about a fridge yeah and like a can of coke and that delight of like something new and foreign but like cars have that element of danger thrown in i think so it's just it's such a trope and like yeah if you can think of anything that like fits that trope of like someone's new and from a different world or a different time and like doesn't understand what a car is or how a car works as like a thing that just happens so often it's one of those ungoogleable questions (laughs) yeah let us know though if you have any more uh, examples tweet us email us you know you know what to do ah yeah (laughs) so this is this i thought was really cute Will obviously runs through to help Lyra and she's okay, thankfully. And the wasp Pan is crawling dazedly up a grass stem beside her. And I was just imagining this little wasp all like dazed and confused. Yeah, she's just had a little bump on the noodle and she's a bit like dazed and confused and so is he. Oh. oh. It's like when they both got drugged in Bolvanger and they both got sleepy. Oh yeah. Because Lyra yeah. ate the like drugged mashed potatoes oh yeah god um yeah and will does a really perfect job of like making sure lyra's okay and then pulling a bit of a lyra because he mm-hmm. seamlessly lies to the lady who is in like a lady brake to stop from hitting lyra and a van rear-ended her so will is now interacting with the van driver and the lady who hit lyra and uh, he just really seamlessly lies. He calls himself Mark. He calls Lyra Lisa. He immediately gives an address of where they live and is like, oh, we live just around the corner. She can walk. She's fine. I'll take her away. And just does this really good job of pulling the wool over these grown ups' eyes and like mm. not, and like refusing a lift from the cab driver. And like, it just feels like a really Lyra moment. And it's like a really lovely way of like bringing Will and Lyra into like a similar alignment in your head. Yeah, totally. One of the things I wanted to call out here is is the the bit where you were talking about the woman, the van driver, and they're exchanging details so that their insurance companies can handle the crash. And I was just like, this is so funny to me because we've spent all of Northern Lights being in this fantastical world where there's like bears and witches, and now we're in this world and somebody's trying to sort out the fucking car insurance. Yeah, it's it's like Burger King. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it really brings you into our world. Uh, Lyra immediately, she seems fine. Oh, she's like, banged me leg. And when I fell down, it shook me head. Do you know... <laughs> Lol, at that Lyra. impression. Um, that this I put a note on this because I feel... Like, it's quite rare that Lyra would say me instead of my, right? Yeah. I don't think we see that from her very often. And it doesn't really fit in my head of how she talks. Maybe it's partly because she's just, like, extra vulnerable in this moment and she might be a bit more likely to, I don't know, yeah, talk a little bit differently. Talk a little bit more like she might do to, like, Mrs. Lonsdale if she's, like, fallen over and scraped her knee. Mm. Um, but I, I think yeah. I think I just relate saying me as my to being northern. So <laughs> yeah. like bang me like oh I, yeah i bang my head oh like you know what i mean so i just don't relate it to being from oxford or whatever yeah but then lyra's accent is an enigma we know this yes we <laughs> do we do doesn't necessarily have a consistent accent for lyra when he's writing her that we know of she isn't too worried about her own health though she immediately checks on the early theometer and Will's a little bit like, ooh, that looks like a cool thing, um, but doesn't ask too many questions. He just asks what it is, and she like immediately just like puts it away. I'm surprised he doesn't have more questions because she's like, it's a truth teller, a symbol reader, and he's just like, he just doesn't say anything. Yeah, I guess he's kind of like bigger, other things to be concerned about. I don't know. I yeah. just, I again, I just think he's being quite one track. He must just have a lot on his mind, but like he's being quite one track, like we can't be noticed, what can we do? Right, we need to do this to keep unnoticed and blah blah blah. Whereas like Lyra's probably kind of petrified. She's just been hit by a car. Like she's probably very shaken up. She's in a completely new alien world and Will just isn't giving her the space that she needs to process it. Like why he just pushed her through, he didn't physically push her, but like why he just like let her stroll in there completely on her own when he knew that it's not her world like okay he doesn't know that she doesn't have cars in her world but even so like i just would love to see lyra interacting with will if he'd walked into her world and come face to face with yorick you know like where's that space like she's come face to face with a car which is probably about as scary as a polar bear if you've never seen a car before yeah totally and the thing is as well it's like we've spoken in this episode about how emotionally intelligent Will is, but he doesn't seem to be able to extend that to Lyra. Yeah. Like, he doesn't seem to have any... He doesn't really seem to give a shit about Lyra's emotions and how she might be feeling, etc. Which is strange to me, because we know how much he cares for his mother. And, like, even if he doesn't care for Lyra yet, he can read the signs and he knows that she's struggling. So I just don't understand why he hasn't extended that kindness to her yet. It is odd, isn't it? I can't put my finger on why, like, simultaneously, I'm like, oh, I could see why you'd be, like, not overly emotional in the moment. Sometimes if you've fallen down and you've bashed your knee, the last thing you want is somebody being nice to you and being like, oh, are you okay? Because that's what will make you cry. But he doesn't know that. He's just not being nice to her. Yeah, I don't, I don't like it. I'm not here for it. He it even says he was far more angry than he needed to be. Mm. So he knows it. So I don't know if, again, it's he's got a lot of stuff on his plate and perhaps that's making him snappier with Lyra. 
And But he does say he's going to basically stick with her now and tells her she needs to look out for cars and that he'll tell everyone that she's his sister. If I'm with you, I can show you how to cross roads without getting killed. And it's like he's blaming her and it's not her fault. She just didn't know how cars worked. Yeah, exactly. And she, he asks if she's got money and she gets out the gold that she's got and he's like, uh, yeah, that's going to get you noticed. So... They go and get some cash from a cash machine. Um, also, we've not really seen Lyra handle money before, have we? I'm actually quite surprised that she has any with her. Yeah, she's been looked after by most of the people she's encountered, hasn't she? Yeah, so I'm surprised that she has any money on her at all. Um, he, sa- he says, your name's L- Lisa Ransom, and she says Lizzie. I pretended to call myself Lizzie before, so that's a nice little callback to when she was in Bowlbanger. Yeah, and just at least her like standing her ground a little bit on something. Yeah, totally. Her leg was going to be painful. Already it was red and swollen where the car had struck it. And a dark, massive bruise is forming. And I was like, I I personally bruise like a peach. And there's nothing worse than <laughs> when it's really hot and summery and you just want to wear a skirt or shorts and you've just got a massive bruise on your leg and you're like, it's genuinely from just walking into the corner of a table on multiple occasions. But you're like, yeah, it looks like I've been pushed down a flight of stairs. Um, and very much that for Lyra, especially, and he becomes very, uh, Will becomes very aware of the bruise on Lyra's cheek that was inflicted by him and was like, yeah, that could get us noticed more because it could look like Lyra's d- in danger or vulnerable. Yeah. And it might, it'll, yeah, it's going to draw attention to them, right? Yeah. Yeah. They get some money out of the cash machine. <laughs> Lyra is completely just like in awe of this cash machine. Yeah. <laughs> It is literally a magic money box in the wall. <laughs> right. And he says, he says, use that later, buy something and get some change. And it's like, he's not even explaining that. No. Like, how is she supposed to know that? Partly I'm like, oh, he's treating her very like an adult and like not babying her and like holding her hand through everything. But also like, he's not giving her any explanations to anything either. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of seen here in Lyra as well. Like she lets him deal with the birth and she's sat very quiet watching everything about how different it is to her Oxford, but also how similar it is. And she gets really kind of upset and scared about it. I can imagine. It's the, a quote that I love is that it was like being in someone else's dream. Yeah. And she gets really, really homesick because it looks like her Oxford, but not. And she's kind of like pointing out things that are like, oh, that's the same, but it's called something different. And oh, that's not usually there. And Will tells her that she has to stop doing that and stop pointing things out because it'll get them noticed. But like for her, she's probably just trying to make sense of this world that looks like it's hers, but it's not. I just, I really feel for Lyra in this moment because... She's so small and it's such a big world that is so unfamiliar but familiar and I imagine it sits in like a weird uncanny place for her. Yeah, definitely. And like like you said, like Will just doesn't seem to have any time for it. Like he says, she says, this is a different Oxford and he says, well, we knew that. Which is just fucking harsh. Like there's just no need to be harsh. And then it says he wasn't prepared for Lyra's wide-eyed helplessness. He couldn't know how much of her childhood had been spent running about streets almost identical with these and how proud she'd been of belonging to Jordan College, whose scholars were the cleverest, whose coffers the richest. What are coffers? I think it's just like money bags. Sure. Uh, Whose beauty the most splendid of all and now it simply wasn't there and she wasn't Lyra of Jordan anymore. She was a lost little girl in a strange world belonging nowhere. Mm. Oh, a coffer is like a big chest that you would hold valuables in. There we go. Like a wooden, a fancy wooden chest. 
Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I feel, I really feel for Lyra here. Um, it's not like our Lyra to feel lost either. Like, think of all the places that she went in the first book and she never felt lost. Yeah. I, the only thing I can kind of compare it to, I think, is like feeling really, really homesick if you're mm. somewhere where culturally it's completely different to where you've grown up. So the only time I've ever had it happen was I went to Japan when I was 16 with like a school trip thing that I'd spent all of my time saving up for. Um, and I just remember like walking down the street and being like, this is just so different to home. I am so far from home. And it's not just I'm far from home and I'm surrounded by people that speak the same language as me and I can read all of the signs. Like being in America is probably, you're really far away, but it's not that different. Um, whereas like being in somewhere like Japan, you can't where I couldn't read any of the signs and I couldn't like culturally, there's loads of different etiquettes to back home. And like, I just, and I was really young, like I was 16. And I just remember being like, just having a couple of moments. It was an amazingly fun school trip, but like I was 16, it was my sister's birthday, my mum's birthday while I was there. So I had this really intense like connection to home that I felt that I was missing out on by not being home for their birthdays. And like, that's the only time I think that I've ever felt like really, really, truly homesick. That's the feeling that I have in the pit of my stomach when I'm thinking about Lyra in this moment is that like gut-wrenching homesickness. Oh, Lyra. I know, I know. Bless her heart. She's left behind everything and everyone that she knew. And the homesickness must be even worse because it's like she's almost in her her Oxford, but she isn't. Like she's almost there. She can see some things that she recognises but others are completely different. And for some, like, I think that might be even worse. If it was completely different, you can remove it from what you know, but because you're being reminded of it everywhere you look, that must be really tough. Yeah, like having that sense of like, you could be confident that you knew where you were going, but you're not because enough things are different that you could just be constantly wrong-footed. That was a really difficult chapter. (laughs) Yeah, for Lyra, bless her. Yeah. It's an interesting chapter because... It's quite a short one and it's really just there to get us from A to B, right? We needed to get from the new world or the new city, Chichagatse, to Will's world and we learned about spectres along the way. I think that was the main point of that chapter. Yeah. And yet at the same time, like, we... I don't know, I feel like we just have a lot of emotions about this chapter because the dynamic between Will and Lyra is kind of being developed and set and some of it... I'm not happy about at all and like but at the same time I'm happy they've got each other at the moment and that Lyra's got a guide for this other world despite the fact that he's very reluctant and distracted and I'm I feel like knowing Lyra's only going to be a good thing for Will because he hasn't seen it in her yet except for their very initial meeting but the fact that she is so fierce and so loyal can only be good for him because he's so lost and alone right now as well. I just want them both to be nicer to each other. <laughs> I know, I know, bless them. What's the, what is the next chapter called, Rich? The next chapter is trepanning. Oh, that's a word that we heard in Northern Lights. It sure is, I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Who would you give an award to this week? My award is for Paolo. Just because I just love that 
he just wants to kill the spectres and he's just like it's kind of like childlike wonderment of being like yeah that's bad kill it that he uses it as his goodbye just fucking floored me i thought it was hilarious so yeah mine's going to paolo nice nice i think initially i was gonna do the same but after having gotten so emotional over lyra in the last like page and a half and how she i think she really really needs an award for like just to help her get through this really difficult thing being in a new world and having just got hit by a car and having the person that's helping you out not being very nice to you about it i think she needs a little boost because she's not the same confident girl that we left and i just want lyra to get her groove back (laughs) oh yeah that's a nice award i think she deserves it as well definitely This is our pre-credits reminder that we've got a little giveaway going at the moment based on reviews. So the deal is leave us a positive review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, wherever you can leave a review, basically, and take a screenshot of that review and email it to us at herdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com. And that counts as your entry. You've got to send the email because otherwise we'll really struggle to find everything. Um, So that email with a screenshot is your entry into a prize draw. When we get 50 screenshot emails, we will pull 10 names out of a hat and those 10 people will get some free HDM pod bookmarks. Please give us five stars and all the kind words. It would mean a lot to us. It really would. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Herd Art Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at HDMPod, and you can email us at herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website, hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rach. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about Lyra and Pan, you can find me hanging out on Twitter and Instagram at Faye which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. And if you want to read some of my old blog posts, I'm on medium at Faye.ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about demons and dust, I'm making cute things. You can find me over on Instagram at rachmakes, on Twitter at rach underscore makes, and on my online shop, rachmakes.co.uk. A huge thanks to Johnny Knott, as always, for his musical stylings. And we'll see you in two weeks' time. And don't forget, keep telling stories, and all will be well.